face mask mandates are back in China, linked to public spaces, transportation, and even inside elevators. It's the latest prevention measure as a mysterious pneumonia keeps hospitals overwhelmed. What's the price tag for defecting from Taiwan to China? For one army pilot, the offer totals $15 million. Getting offered the sum to fly an American-made aircraft into the hands of the communist regime. Calls for freedom sounds on Human Rights Day. Human rights supersedes state sovereignty. More on the latest voices of dissent against the Chinese Communist Party. And China's new trades rules on Shanghai, pushing the city to open up. In the wake of a tightening political system, how will foreign investors respond? Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we continue, as you may know, our channel's been hit by social media censorship. On top of being demonetized for about three years, we've also seen strange issues like viewers subscribing to our channel, then finding they've been unsubscribed. Help support us by sharing our content with friends and family and consider donating. Find us at donorbox.org slash China-in-focus. Your viewership helps make our show possible. Thanks for watching. An update on China's illness outbreak. Face mask mandates are back for some public spaces in the country. China CDC issued a new guideline over the weekend, directing people to wear masks to prevent infectious respiratory diseases. The notice ordered areas across the country to carefully implement it. Where are Chinese citizens being asked to wear masks? First, when patients infected with infectious respiratory diseases are within three feet of others. COVID-19 tops the list of diseases mentioned in the guideline. The mask requirement also extends to hospitals, nursing homes, welfare institutions, kindergartens and schools. While not strictly required, the notice also recommends that people wear masks on public transportation, like while on planes, trains, ships, buses or the subway. That suggestion carried over to supermarkets, movie theaters, bus stations and even inside elevators. The new guideline comes as hospitals across China remain overwhelmed. Residents told us that symptoms of the current outbreak appear similar to those from one year ago, when Chinese authorities abruptly lifted strict COVID-19 lockdowns. They add that this time, the symptoms appear more serious, and people are getting infected repeatedly within a short time. To protect their identities, we distorted their voices. I had a fever twice. My daughter also had a fever twice. My grandson three times, all high fevers. Even with antipyretics, that could not be relieved. It is quite common right now that about 60 to 70 percent people are infected. Only half of the children still go to school. Some of them have been sick for a month with relatively severe symptoms just like the one after the opening up one year ago. People had a fever and they lasted for a long time. After recovering, the illness recurred. It's very serious. Many children have gone to the hospital. There is no specific medicine to cure it. In some classes, there are only two or three students who aren't sick. Almost all of them are staying home. After lifting lockdown measures, Chinese hospitals stopped mass testing people for the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. The lack of testing means no direct proof from China that COVID-19 is behind the new outbreak. A doctor from the UK believes the mystery pneumonia sweeping China is another COVID-like virus. He says Western countries don't need to panic. 
Despite the outbreak, China has announced it will discount entry visa fees for travelers from over a dozen countries starting Monday. It's also extending the measure until the end of next year. Over the last two weeks, Beijing has relaxed entry visa policies, covering hundreds of millions of people across nearly two dozen countries. A $15 million offer to defect from Taiwan to communist China. Prosecutors say Beijing offered a Taiwanese army pilot the money in exchange for an American-made helicopter. The pilot was directed to fly the transport aircraft over the unofficial border between Taiwan and mainland China and landed on a Chinese military aircraft carrier, all during a Chinese military drill near the island. Beijing intelligence officials reportedly approached the pilot last summer through a retired Taiwanese army officer. The pilot declined the original offer, around $6,000 a month, and the promise that China would evacuate his family in the event of a Chinese invasion. He later accepted when the offer was raised to $15 million. Taiwanese authorities arrested the pilot and former officer before the plan was carried out. The indictment comes alongside a Chinese naval drill Monday in the Taiwan Strait, featuring Beijing's Shandong aircraft carrier. The island is preparing for parliamentary and presidential elections next month. China has been accused of trying to interfere. A call to action on the 75th anniversary of Human Rights Day. The UN declaration was made to prevent crimes against humanity after the atrocities and holocaust of World War II. Doctors and experts over the weekend sounded the alarm over failures to put principles into action in countries like China. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. Washington-based medical ethics advocacy group Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting hosted an international roundtable Sunday to focus on challenges putting the principles of universal human rights into action and the horrific crimes of the CCP. All nations and individuals have to reckon with the realities of the Holocaust. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights represented the gap between a humanitarian ideal and living up to it on the ground. 75 years after the declaration, the panel suggests the international community pause and reflect on who's had their rights trampled on and who's been left behind. Executive director of the group Dr. Torsten Trey told NTD it's important to understand that the CCP's forced organ harvesting is not about organ trafficking, it's about killing people to harvest their organs. And that's a phenomenon that we only have seen in China. Trey says organ transplants in China spiked exponentially after 1999 when the persecution of Falun Gong started. Chinese authorities estimated at the time that up to 100 million people were practicing Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa. But it was actually only in 2006 when we learned from whistleblowers that uh, the prisoners of conscience, Falun Gong practitioners, were the main source of, uh, for, for forced organ harvesting. Since then, Trey says the CCP has tried to suppress and destroy Falun Gong, with forced organ harvesting and persecution being the regime's ultimate solution. He says the CCP has built a sophisticated network of influence to cover its crimes, and uses blatant economic pressure and political threats, along with propaganda, to spread a false representation of what Falun Gong is. They practice uh, Buddhist Qigong and they follow the principles of uh, truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. The doctor says the best thing to do to have an impact is simply break the silence. So if everyone takes a moment to understand what Falun Gong is about, that Falun Gong is about truthfulness, compassion, forbearance, things that we could uh, use very well in these times, 
uh, if we learn about this and then speak about it and also understand about the forced organ harvesting and speak about the forced organ harvesting, we basically lift the concealed eradication to the daylight and thus defeat the purpose. An independent people's tribunal in London concluded in 2019 that forced organ harvesting in China has taken place on a significant scale for years, with detained Falun Gong practitioners as the primary source. The persecution in China continues today. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Also marking Human Rights Day over the weekend, a group of activists gathered in the heart of Beijing. Today is December 10th, 2023, World Human Rights Day, and we human rights defenders are lining up at the entrance of the State Bureau for letters and calls of the Chinese Communist Party. Human rights supersedes state sovereignty. Defending human rights is an act of patriotism. Beijing said of the Bureau of Letters and calls to address civilian complaints. But reports reveal citizens often risk their lives to petition for justice before authorities. Many of them allegedly detained in state-backed black jails before even reaching Beijing with their grievances. Some petitioners told NTD that Beijing is strengthening its clampdown. The Chinese Communist Party's ultimate goal is to eliminate dissidents and now is even more resolute in doing so. The Constitution, laws or regulations claim to support human rights. They're deceptive, open lies. We are living in constant terror with no assurance of our safety or property. You never know when you'll be beaten to death. The bureau leader has openly said, even if you are beaten to death, so what? Human rights group Safeguard Defenders reports increased use of collective punishment by Beijing against activists' loved ones. The new report identified at least 50 such cases from 2015 to 2022. Tactics involved detention, home eviction and harassment. Three pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong were arrested over the weekend. That's amid Beijing's latest electoral overhaul, making sure that only candidates loyal to the communist regime can hold office on the island. Because of it, the city is witnessing its lowest voter turnout in decades. Here's more. Hong Kong began its Patriots-only district election on Sunday. It has marginalized former popular opposition figures in the city amid a national security clampdown. Three pro-democracy activists from the League of Social Democrats were arrested just before voting began. The group had planned to protest against the birdcage election that it said lacked any democratic scope. Regulations introduced in July slashed the directly elected district council seats by nearly 80 percent from four years ago. All candidates must also undergo national security background checks and secure nomination. The regulation changes further narrow electoral freedoms in the former British colony. It returned to Chinese rule in 1997. The crackdown under a 2020 China-imposed national security law has led to arrests of former district councillors and the disbandment of major opposition parties. Kenneth Chan is a political scientist at Hong Kong Baptist University and a former pro-democracy lawmaker. What they're doing now is the installation of the so-called patriots-only governance structure against the backdrop of the imposition of the national security law since mid-2020. So I'm afraid democracy is off the agenda. 
Some Western governments say that China-imposed national security law has been used to crack down on dissent. For weeks, the major pro-Beijing and pro-government parties have been out in force campaigning in a bid to boost turnout, as some observers see large numbers spanning the polls. Now shifting gears, a lineup of short headlines from Asia-Pacific. Collisions causing maneuvers in the South China Sea. The Philippines is reporting more Chinese Coast Guard aggression, saying its civilian supply vessels were targeted with water cannons and that the Chinese ships rammed one of the Philippine boats. It's a serious escalation on the part of the agents of the People's Republic of China. The use of water cannons numerous times long-range acoustic devices, as well as dangerous and unsafe maneuvers, is completely unacceptable. The Chinese Coast Guard said the Philippine ships illegally intruded into Chinese waters. Beijing claims virtually all of the South China Sea as Chinese territory, despite an international tribunal ruling otherwise. About one-third of global shipping passes through the waterway. Moving to Oceania, on Monday, the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea said his nation is not in talks with China on security. The Pacific Island nation just signed a security agreement with neighboring Australia last week. Papua New Guinea is currently discussing a free trade agreement with China. Over in South Korea, President Yoon suk Yeol is on his way to the Netherlands for a state visit. He will be discussing cooperation on semiconductors and a potential chip alliance. South Korea and the Netherlands are both key players in the global microchip sector. The Netherlands has joined the U.S. and Japan in restricting chip exports to China. Staying on the Korean Peninsula, a look at the conditions of North Korean defectors. A South Korean human rights group says up to 600 North Koreans have vanished after China forcibly deported them recently. The group said China carried out the largest mass deportation of North Korean defectors in years on October 9th. The organization warned the defectors could face imprisonment, torture, sexual violence and execution in North Korea. China's overseas influence efforts ramping up through a new trade plan. The country's state council is pushing to develop the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. It would focus on international trade standards and seek to increase cross-border trade. The announcement first went public last Friday, along with a package of new economic measures. But the question remains, will the rest of the world trust the Chinese regime? It's impossible to really reform because China holds strict political controls and they're getting even more strict. The CCP prioritizes so-called authoritarian security. As long as this is in place, everything else is meaningless. For foreign companies, the anti-espionage law would basically scare everyone away. Tsai Shen-Kun is a writer and commentator specializing on China's economy. He said that the Chinese Communist Party is granting limited flexibility only to Beijing and Shanghai, adding that the two are still under the regime's strict controls. Some say Beijing envisions Shanghai as the next Hong Kong. The city used to be a significant hub for Asia's finance and economy. But investors have been pulling out of Hong Kong ever since the CCP tightened its political control of the region. The CCP imposed a national security law in Hong Kong three years ago. The rule gives the party greater power to control the city, far more than under the previous system. Because of the new law, authorities can now easily target foreign firms, often citing vague reasons like national security concerns. Former President Trump ended Washington's special trade status for Hong Kong in 2020, 
Biden has also warned American companies to reconsider investing or operating in the region. The European and U.S. Chambers of Commerce reported that 25 and 40 percent of their companies, respectively, are leaving Hong Kong. To combat it, Beijing is working to align Shanghai's trade zone with international standards. An expert says in order to achieve that, the Chinese Communist Party would need to withdraw from Shanghai, establish an elected government, and have experts lead economic policies. This is not achievable. Liang Xiaohua was a lawyer in China. He now lives in Canada. Coming up, more tension in the South China Sea. The Philippines and China accusing each other of dangerous collision-causing maneuvers. The Philippine Coast Guard reports damage, while China claims intrusion in the contested waters. Who's really responsible, and why should America care? We discuss with Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and author of When China Attacks. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A fresh round of tension in the South China Sea, with Philippine civilian supply vessels caught in another face-off against Chinese ships. What's behind recent spats between China and the Philippines? And why is this waterway so vital? We speak to Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and author of When China Attacks, for insight. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. To begin, the Philippines and China are blaming each other after another collision in the South China Sea over the weekend. How do you read this latest confrontation? Well, China's ready to shoot, or they would love to have somebody else do something that they can use as an excuse to really, really play rough and settle the South China Sea business with the Philippines once and for all. Uh, this is not the Philippines' fault. This is entirely Chinese aggression, Chinese attempts to dominate, and not just dominate, but to control the South China Sea. And that has always been international waters. And keep in mind, it's an area about one and a half times as big as the Mediterranean Ocean. China decided they wanted it, so they're taking it. And given how many of these near collisions, actual collisions we're seeing, is the goal here to desensitize the media until they do something and no one bats an eye? Well, that's part of it. But unfortunately for the Chinese, the Filipinos have been publicizing this very effectively for about the last year, year and a half. And this is not coincidence. But by exposing what the Chinese are doing, you can see that it has flustered the Chinese, put them on the back foot, and they don't quite know what to do. And their response is to obviously scream a lot. It's Philippine waters. Everybody knows this, at least everyone reasonable. Uh, the Permanent Court of Arbitration issued a ruling that obliterated uh, the Chinese position. And that never happens in these kinds of decisions. And it's just the Filipinos trying to operate in their own territory. The Chinese don't like it. Should the U.S. focus on this area? The U.S. needs to take this seriously, and I don't think we do. Uh, you'll notice that the State Department issued a, a notice uh, on these, this latest round of uh, trouble. Uh, they said, well, we think, we believe, and, and we consider the U.S.-Philippine Defense Treaty to apply in the cases of armed attacks against the Philippines. Now, here's the catch, armed attacks. So the State Department is implicitly saying that as long as nobody shoots, well, 
we don't know that the, the treaty actually applies. What you're going to have to think that the uh, treaty applies in this case, and the Filipinos must be wondering, what do we have to do to have you live up to your promises? What the Americans need to do is to put Navy ships out there with the Philippines for re these resupply efforts at a minimum and make it clear to the Chinese that Filipinos are our allies, we're going to protect them. And it's up to you what you do next. And given that we are seeing increased confrontations, collisions in the Philippine-China area, but also around Taiwan, where do you see this going if the U.S. doesn't step in? Well, if America doesn't, if it doesn't demonstrate backbone in defending an ally with which it has a, really a written agreement, a treaty, uh, not just the, it is an implicit agreement as well, an implicit assumption that the Americans uh, will do everything necessary to uh, protect our friends. Uh, if you don't do it with the Philippines, well, you're always going to be able to come up with excuses why it's just too hard not to uh, do anything for Taiwan either. You can always come up with an excuse. And potentially someday you could say it about the Japanese as well. Well, it's just not worth it. Treaty doesn't quite apply. On that last part, what would all of this mean for the U.S. if we just sit back and watch everything unfold? Well, a total loss of credibility, uh, not just in Asia, uh, but worldwide. And we have this treaty with the Philippines, and you can see it doesn't seem to uh, make all that much difference. Uh, and if you let Taiwan go, you know, because you, if on the, argue, the grounds that, well, the Chinese didn't shoot, uh, they just scared the daylights out of the Taiwanese, and the Taiwanese didn't think we were going to do anything, so they conceded. Well, at that point, militarily your position, America's position in Asia, um, in Western Pacific, becomes untenable. Uh, we'd probably be forced back to at least Hawaii, probably the U.S. West Coast. And what other country on earth is going to think that's an American promise, actual or implicit, uh, of protection uh, means anything? None of them would. And you would embolden uh, this new axis of evil. Uh, these kind of countries would say, well, there's nothing to stop us now. Definitely a lot at stake here. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for your time. Well, glad to be here. Thank you. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.